Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast, where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside... Connor Baltazor. And it is KU Hate Week, everybody. Everyone, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Aggieville Alley Cats preview episode of the upcoming football matchup between your Kansas State Wildcats and the inferior, at least in football, Kansas team, the University of Kansas Jayhawks. This is a matchup happening in Lawrence, Kansas at Memorial Stadium, which we know has a different name, but we don't care. Let's go into their 2020 stats so we can get a better understanding of who they were, at least as a team. So last year, they were a perfectly defeated team, 0-9 with an 0-8 conference record. 944 rushing yards at a clip of 2.7 per attempt, yikes, 9 rushing touchdowns, 1,389 passing yards at a clip of 4.9 per attempt, yikes, 10 passing touchdowns, passing interceptions rather, 54.8% completion percentage, 7 passing touchdowns, a third down percentage of 22.92%, yikes, 47 sacks allowed, yikes, 16 points per game, and a total of 144 total points. Uh, there is absolutely nothing good there. Nothing. This is That's one of the worst offensive stat lines that I have ever seen in my life, especially for a Power 5 program, allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> I mean, they didn't even crack 1,000 rushing yards. 2.7 yards per attempt is just atrocious. I mean, that, that's one of the worst I've seen. Uh, only nine rushing touchdowns. Uh, only seven passing touchdowns. So in ten games, that's, according to my calculations, 16 offensive touchdowns. Yeah. According to my calculations. I may be stupid. I so. may be stupid. <laughs> but, yeah, then more interceptions and touchdowns as a team. 22.92% on third down. <laughs> For reference, this year the the national average is around forty five percent. Granted, I don't know what it was last year, but it's safe to assume it was about that. Yeah. And definitely not varying too much either direction. The point is, is that they were way under that. Yeah. And then they were allowing uh, almost five sacks a game. Yeah. But wait, it gets worse. It gets... You have to cover the defensive stats. I don't know if I want to. <laughs> I have to. <laughs> okay. So. They gave up 46 points per game defense. Oh my God. <laughs> 414 points against them. Uh, 2,007 passing yards against them. 20 passing touchdowns and 2,126 rushing yards against them. 24 rushing touchdowns against them. Red zone percentage is 67%. They had four interceptions, six fumbles, and they recorded nine sacks as a defense for a turnover differential of minus four. At least they were balanced. So, <laughs> At least they were balanced in how bad they were. Yeah. Like, I mean, and then also, I, I just realized that they were 0-9, not 0-10, so they missed a game, so they were giving up more than five sacks a game. And then they were only averaging one sack a game as a defense. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> and, in a way, that's kind of remarkable. It's unbelievable stuff. Uh, the fumbles, they actually... That's like actually the only not awful thing yeah. about it is that they had like an odd amount of fumble recoveries. Like, it's not impressive, but 
it's better than you would expect, but also fumbles are just kind of chance plays anyways for, yeah. the, for the most part. Uh, but yeah, the points per game, yeah, they, they scored 144 points on offense and they gave up 414 points on defense. That's really the only stat that you need, I think. Yeah. It perfectly illustrates just how abysmal, the ca- catastrophically awful this team was. I mean, I mean, we knew it. I mean, this is a team that a pretty inept K-State offense, especially at this point in time, they dropped 52 on this team. Yeah. <laughs> Granted, Philip Rose had two return touchdowns, but still. <laughs> yeah. This team, in every facet that you could possibly imagine, was utterly atrocious. There were no bright spots on this team. The only bright spot was Puka Williams, and he left. That, and I guess Karan Prunty was kind of a bright spot. He's also gone. Yeah. Which, speaking (laughs) of, let's talk about people that actually did return. Their leading receiver, Kwame Lasseter, the second return. Uh, Gavin Potter, an actual clown, returned. Uh, Velton Gardner, their leading rusher, is not their lead back this year, but he's back. Kenny Logan is back, their safety, and he was the tackle leader last year. So you know what? You have a couple of, uh, well, you have one piece that's contributing there. But who did they lose, Connor? <laughs> um, well, one thing I do want to bring up quickly about Velton Gardner is I'm about 95% sure that he has entered the transfer portal. <laughs> so. Of course. Because, I mean, he, is, he isn't starting, I guess, to be fair. But, like, I'm almost certain that he's in the transfer portal, which leaves one good player that's back. And I wasn't even counting him. So I was just counting Kenny Logan. Oh, Kenny Logan, yeah. That, that's it. And then there's Lassiter, who's below average, but the least bad offensive weapon, other than Jason Bean's legs. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get to that. And then Potter, Ray Lewis's relative Ray Lewis. broken ankle man <laughs> God. guy caught uh, dancing on the field the point is, is that their notable returners are only notable because of who they are and yeah I, I mean KU as in who they are not the people but their losses from 2020 they lost Puka Williams the running back he was drafted Andrew Parchment their one actually pretty good receiver transferred to Florida State and they're bad so yeah they're they're not just unlucky <laughs> Yeah, poor Andrew Parchment. Granted, he's better off now than he was. I will say I unironically actually liked Andrew Parchment as a player, mainly because of his name. I just think Andrew Parchment is just like kind of a funny name. Him and Hassan Defense. Hassan Defense was another guy I unironically liked, and he unfortunately has since departed as well. Andrew Parchment's not having an awful year, but like, I don't know. Yeah. Anywho, moving on from him. Uh, their only good corner... Uh, Karan Prunty, who was actually very promising. Uh, he's their leader in pass uh, deflections, transfer away to, I believe, Virginia Tech. I think so. And uh, he was very promising. He was a true freshman starter. Actually looked really good, and then he transferred after uh, the firing of Les Miles and hiring of Lance Leipold. And then DeJon Terry, defensive lineman. Uh, he was also pretty solid, and he transferred. I do not know where to he's somewhere out there in the ether i can look really quickly a stall okay 
Yeah, so literally, like Connor said, the only returning pieces from last year are returning and are notable returning because we like bullying them. That's the only... Dejon Terry is at Tennessee. Oh. It's very strange that, like, a lot of these players that transferred, transferred up. up. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. But, yeah, that's that's the state of KU. Most of their pretty good players funneled into some uh, more uh, high major uh, Power 5 programs, the Virginia Techs, uh, Florida States, Tennessees of the world. Even though none of those teams are having particularly great years, they do at least have some prestige. Yeah. So, I, I get it. I understand. Yes. So, looking at their schedule, let's just go through the entire schedule here because we actually got rid of the individual game segment because it doesn't add anything, really. Um, so let's go through the individual games here. The first game of the year is their lone victory, and it's against lowly FCS. And I mean lowly by FCS standards. South Dakota, which was a win on a last-second field goal, the first win they've had in several years. It was a victory that was 17-14. to 14. Then they played at Coastal. Uh, I want you to guess how that what game went. It was 49-21. to 21. Two. Two, 22. Uh, we'll split after the Duke game so you can cover after Duke. Then they played Baylor, which is a weird place for that first conference game. Yeah, that is kind of strange, isn't it? Yeah. Like, normally it starts week four, but yeah, naturally no. they lost. They lost 45-7. to seven. Yeah, and, then, and this, granted, was pre-us knowing yeah, Baylor's actually good. good, so this was a much worse loss at the time. Yeah. And then they played at Duke, which they ended up losing 52-33. to 33. All right, and then they played Iowa State after this. They got absolutely destroyed 59-7. to 7. Uh, They could do absolutely nothing in that game. Texas Tech, not a good team at all. Uh, although at this point in time they had a deceptive record, they were five and two, yeah. and uh, they got smacked around by Texas Tech. They didn't uh, score until pretty late in that game. Uh, they lose forty-one fourteen. Then we have the aberration. This is this is the the weird one. This is yeah the uh, the black sheep of the schedule. Uh, they have OU where they lose, but it's thirty-five twenty-three, and this is a game that they led. Through the third quarter, then OU remembered that they are OU. Yeah. And just they were they turned from Oklahoma to Oklahoma. Yeah, and they did it. It was like they flipped the switch, almost. And I don't know what happened in this game, other than OU just consistently shooting themselves in the foot, and KU knowing the one thing they could do that OU just kind of refused to defend. Like, they actively chose not to defend it, almost. Yeah. And KU took advantage, which they should. Yeah. I <laughs> QB run, in this case. Literally, if OU performed as poorly against us as they did against KU, we very well might have blown Oklahoma out. There, Any if, team would have. If we had Skylar Thompson with mobility against OU and based the same defense, there is a non-zero chance we would have won by double digits, I think. I think that there's a non-zero chance every team in the Big 12 would, have, would beat OU with a fast quarterback and a semblance of a game plan if they played the way they played against KU. So I still think that there's going to be a uh, 
like a not insignificant problem that because they Oki still has to play Oki State, which uh, to call my shot early, Oki State's probably winning that game. Yeah, and it's going to be hilarious. I am looking forward to that game. I'm especially looking forward to it being played in back to back weeks. Fingers crossed, because. I would love to see back-to-back Bedlam since Bedlam's the last week of the season and then Big 12 Championship following. The game you and I wanted to go to before we realized tickets were $230. Yes, I really wanted to go to Bedlam, actually, but it's just not... Possible. No. 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 (laughs) And they had their most recent performance the week after their uh, close defeat at the hands of OU... Uh, they go down to Stillwater to face the other Oklahoma squad and got utterly dominated. Even for KU standards, this was pretty atrocious. It was 55-3. KU did not get a first down in the first half. Jason Bean, the starting quarterback, went 3 of 10 for 10 yards passing and two interceptions. One of perhaps the most abysmal stat lines I've ever seen. I mean, Will Howard had some rough games last year. He never had a stat line that bad. <laughs> no. Like, that. that's terrible. And they scored pretty late in that game to get on the board. But they just... What what domination... What just happened? By Oklahoma State. Like, and because nobody knows kind of what's going to happen going into that game. Just because they're coming off their close-ish loss to OU and then they kind of return to form I guess mm-hmm. so I, I think that speaks almost more to the OU loss in the Oklahoma State game itself and yeah. that the OU mm-hmm. loss was almost certainly they just had a thing in their scheme that matched up perfectly with OU defensively and they exploited that to uh, a, an excellent level and then Oklahoma State said no <laughs> yeah they very simply said no so in terms of statistics they're one in 17 with an 0 and 5 conference record i don't know why it says 0 and 4 that's incorrect they have a total of 1157 rushing yards at a clip of 3.8 per attempt a total of 1376 is that 13 or 12 uh for pass yards yes that's 13 1326 passing yards at a clip of 6.8 per attempt after passing touchdowns and interceptions. I can trade off here. They have eight passing touchdowns to seven interceptions. Fun fact, they are intercepted on 4% of their drop packs, which is 115th in the nation. And sent, they quite literally have nearly the exact same chance of throwing a touchdown that they do have an interception. Yeah... <laughs> yeah. Anywho. Anywho. <laughs> rushing touchdowns, they have eight of those on the year, so they're equal between their pass touchdowns and rush touchdowns. Third down percentage, 33.33, so a perfect one-third. Uh, not particularly great, but not the absolute worst. <laughs> and then you have defensive third down percentage, so they're giving up 55% of the third downs they face on defense, which, yikes, yeah. my man. <laughs> and, uh. 16 points per game they are scoring offensively uh, for a total 128 points for and then 350 points have been scored against them ouch and uh, they have a turnover differential of minus two 
They recorded seven sacks through uh, eight games. Yeah. Eight games. Uh, and then we get to their red zone on defense and offense. Wow. Uh, red zone defense, they allow scores 97.5% of the time, which is dead last in the country. It's so, not particularly close. Yeah, it's not close. They And they were allowing teams to score 100% of the time until last week against Oklahoma State. They were unable to convert a fourth and one at the KU 16 in the first quarter on their first drive. That is the only instance this entire year in which KU has stopped a team from scoring once they get to the red zone. Then KU, uh, on the offensive side of the ball for themselves, they score 68.2% of the time when they make it to the red zone, which is also last in the nation. So they allow teams to score the most on them when they reach the red zone. And when, when they reach the red zone, they score the least amount of times, which, my God. <laughs> yeah, like it... I, I don't know what to say. I, there's, I, I want you to keep this in mind. They are last in the same division as that has UConn. Yeah, Vanderbilt. They are worse yeah. than UConn. UConn exists. Vanderbilt exists. UMass, UMass exists. exists. There are many bad teams in FBS. And KU has found a way to be worse than all of them in at least this particular statistical category. And it, it's just odd that they're last in both. You'd think that they could at least do one, but they have the rare bend and break, break defense. <laughs> and then offense, they seemingly forget what they're supposed to do when they hit the red zone. Because 68.2% doesn't sound bad, but that would be if it were for touchdowns. This is scoring, period. This includes yes. field goals. So they aren't getting touchdowns or field goals when they make it to the to the red zone on offense, which that's the 20-yard line. So you should be able to at least get a field goal out of that. Yeah. But no. No. And it's <laughs> not because their kicker doesn't have a leg, because I've seen him. He's just not very accurate at all. Yeah, it's kind of depressing. And just like, I don't know, going through some of these other stats – uh, 3.8 rush yards per attempt. That's up a full yard uh, from last from year. Last year which, granted, which granted last year... All of it's Jason Bean. <laughs> wow. Yeah, and then, and then like, yeah, Jason Bean is just carrying those run statistics. And he's also completely ruining the passing statistics as well. Yeah. He's the only one throwing the ball. He's just bad at it. So... Yeah. Just, I don't know. All There's not a whole lot else to say about it, I guess. Although we've kind of rambled about these stats for a while. Yeah. Uh, the point is... They're not good. They're not. Some of them are way worse than last year. Others are slightly better. The point is that they're still not very good. Yeah. So, so now let's look at because we went over the statistics, but what does the film say? What does the film say about the University of Kansas? I don't know. What does it say? Um. Well, before we go into the specific, uh, film notes, as in general takeaways for the team. They're not good. That's what the film says. If you want a TLDR, they're not good. If you want the longer answer, here we go. Let's talk about their offensive scheming and play calling first. They mostly run a, uh, a check with me offense, which basically they line up, do like one little stupid clap, then everyone simultaneously looks up like they're a damn gopher to the sideline. Just, what's the play, coach? 
Okay, we got yeah. to play. There's that that facet of it's very similar to what K State did uh, in Snyder 2.0, uh, except K State was a little bit slower. Uh, they oh, had they're a, not fast either. Yeah, KU's not particularly actually second slowest pace in the conference uh, ahead of only us. So, uh, but yeah, they're not very quick. Uh, the only difference I think is that K State didn't really do the clap to snap the ball thing. They just said hut. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, it's kind of similar to some of the Snyder offenses in in a style, not practice at all. Other, yeah. than, other than they like read option and quarterback run because it's all they have. So yeah. Um, which, yeah, we can get into some of the more specific offensive subpoints. Unless you had anything more you wanted to say about no. right there, check with me. That's pretty much it. Yeah, uh, they do a lot of flexing out uh, for the tight end, uh, but they're still mostly a spread out team. It's like a three wide most of the time. He the tight end is either flexed out wide or playing a wing role or fullback, but that's a lot rarer. They do enjoy getting their wide receivers the ball in the running game, mostly because they don't like running to the inside, and you'll see why. They Basically, if they can take the entire... If they can make it into a 7-on-7 seven seven game, they really like doing that. Yeah, there there will be more on that uh, later. We'll, we'll grow to understand why they don't like including their offensive line and anything. Um, but... Speaking of the run, they want to run the ball outside as opposed to inside. One of their favorite plays is the Y lead read option. So they have Lance Leipold out here playing NCAA football 14, loving the read up. Oh, I'm so sorry. Because <laughs> that is literally the cheese play in NCAA 14 is you have split back, Y, uh, y is an H back, and then it's just triple option. To where it doesn't matter what defense they're running, you win. You instantly win. Pretty much, yeah. So, yeah, they, they love running the read it option. It doesn't work IRL. Yeah. It doesn't work IRL. Yeah, yeah they love the read option. Uh, especially just because of their quarterback, Jason Bean, which now you can get into uh, some of the specifics on Jason Bean. A little smooth transition there. So, if you... I'll take Jason Bean. You can cover pretty much everything from running backs to tight ends. Fair? Fair. Okay. So, uh, he has exactly one good trait. He's really fast. Like, he is extraordinarily quick and shifty and fast. And that's basically the entire team's identity is Jason Bean's legs on option plays. Because passing, he has exactly one good trait. And that is he has a faster-than-average release. But even then, if he's going to make... Let, let, let's just put this politely. If he's going to make a run at the NFL, he's going to be converted to running back. Not receiver. And there's no shot he's playing quarterback. He will be asked to play receiver, and it will be exclusively because of his speed. <clears throat> his accuracy leaves quite a bit to be desired. And he mostly just passes based off of timing. So a lot of curls, hitches, things like that. Uh, if you disrupt his timing or even remotely get into a passing window, it's going to be intercepted because he will look at one place where he's supposed to throw a timing route and then throw it no matter if anyone is there or not. So, uh, you know, maybe chalk that up as a negative for him. And 
his feet are either completely dead in the pocket or he's scrambling. That is the extent of his footwork. So, um, basically, Jason Bean, not very good as a quarterback, but he's a good option threat. And that's the main part of this offense to watch out for. Yeah, so Jason Bean, really fast. That's about it. But now we can get to some of the other positions, like running back, Devin Neal. He's a true freshman. Uh, I believe a Lawrence native who ended up sticking with KU. Uh, and he usurped Velton Gardner as the starting tailback. And there's not much to say about him, really. He's, he's a fine running back. He is not elite at anything, just kind of a jack of all traits, but he's still a true freshman, so he's got a ways to go. Generally fine. Nothing he's not lighting the world on fire or anything in any particular area. Um then we can move on to wide receivers. They're led by uh number eight Kwame Lasseter, the second, and number seven Trevor Wilson. Uh this is gonna be the worst group of receivers that we've seen this year, probably will see this year. And TCU, they had Gwen Johnston as a standout, at least uh, on paper, not in practice, but on paper and all the other games that he's played, uh, he's been a threat. Uh, none of these KU receivers are really that good. Uh, they're not very good separators. They don't know how to box out DBs. Uh, the only upside that they have is that they don't have stone hands necessarily. That doesn't mean that they're great at catching, but it just means that they're not awful at catching. Yeah. And that's about it. Other than that, they're just pretty okay to bad at most everything. And then we can go to tight end, number 89, Mason Fairchild. Uh, he mostly lines up in a wing alignment or he's flexed out to the slot. And he's a surprisingly good blocker. And that is it. <laughs> yeah, that's about it. He's a fine... Like, when asked to, he's a fine receiver. And that's... Yeah, that's about it. Now, let's talk about my favorite unit to cover every single week. The offensive line. And coming off of a week where... We had a, a good line. I do not care what anyone says. TCU's offensive line is still good. I don't know where the narrative came from. Okay, I do know where it came from. I don't understand why that narrative exists, that TCU's line wasn't good, because they are, but that's either here nor there. Uh, KU's line's worse. And you want to hear the best part? They still... Okay, like per player, they are probably still the worst offensive line we've seen. But they do not have the worst linemen we've seen all year. Rest in peace, left tackle, Texas Tech. But let's go ahead and just say, on, on the whole, they're not very good. All of them have really bad technique in all facets of their game. But on the individual level, you have left tackle number 68, Earl Bostic Jr., and he has a lot of issues keeping his head up. and But he does have solid boom out of his first steps in run blocking. So at the very least, he's powerful. If, you know, I'd rather have that be right tackle, but take it where you will, I suppose. Then you have left guard number 61, Malik Clark. 
he's really, really easy to knock off balance and catch a leaning backwards, forwards, or just leaning. And he's genuinely one of the least graceful linemen that I've seen. And I watch Christian Duffy play right tackle on a weekly basis. So that's, you know, again, maybe chalk that up as a negative. At nearly every play, he's off balance, even when he's going to the second level. And to get off, like, knocked off balance by a linebacker that weighs about 100 fewer pounds than you, again, that's not necessarily something that you want to see happening to your offensive line, especially one of your guards. But then you move into probably their best lineman, which is their center, number 50. I, I don't want to try and pronounce the last name. Nowitzki? Yeah, that sounds right. Nowitzki. Mike Nowitzki. He's not strong or fast, but what he lacks in physical ability, he makes up for in how clever he is. Because he will lose a lot, but he will make himself lose in a direction where you're likely to not be involved in the play. Which can you say is a win for him? Not really. But he took a guy out of the play. So, thumbs up. (laughs) Technically losing the rep while still also being productive. Really, really weird game plan. But I think it maybe just means a player that, like, understands his weaknesses and just tries to turn them into strengths. Yeah, I... I mean, kudos to him, I guess, if he figured it out enough to where it actually works. It does. Works surprisingly well for him. Yeah, good good for you, Mike. Yeah. Thumbs up. And then we get to move on to another Michael, which is the right guard, number 54, Michael Ford Jr. Uh, yeah, he has a problem keeping his head up and also anchoring. Uh, again, not something you want to hear from any of your linemen, but your right guard trouble anchoring, that does not bode well. He's also not a very good lateral mover in zone runs, which they love doing. But they do have him rotating out with another guy. No, wait. No, they don't. That's a lie. Number 68 is their left tackle. So, no. (laughs) That's a lie. I lied to you. Uh, And then their right tackle, number 77. I'll just let you take that one. And so we have on our sheet here... uh... In our word doc, it says right tackle, number 77, Bryce Cable do. The only bullet point is no. With a period. With a period. <laughs> what this means, uh, to translate, is he's really, really bad. Still not the worst we've seen, though. He is not as bad as Texas Tech's left tackle, but... But he's a close second. He's competing. <laughs> yeah, he he could take the crown if he were to give up the same play that Felix made to like Bronson Massey. <laughs> like if that happened, he would absolutely be the worst uh, offensive lineman in the conference. But for now, he is safe-ish and second. He's on the hot seat. Yeah, but this could change. It, it, he could become the worst offensive lineman, but. Who's to say? Maybe yeah. maybe we'll line Felix up on him. Oh, God. Don't do that. You don't need to bully him that hard. Yeah, maybe we'll just put it in, like, Ozzy Hoffler or something just for fun. Put See, Omar Daniels on him just for fun. I think Omar's hurt, so unfortunately we cannot. We'll, so we'll have to use Darrell Jones instead. Yeah. Which, <laughs> honestly, that's I feel like it's even better. Yeah. <laughs> like, just run around him. 
So you can talk about their defensive scheming and such. All right. Now, defensively, they're a 4-2-5 team. The rare 4-2-5 team in the Big 12. Yeah, so yeah, what K-State used to run, they use an end and a stand-up role, so kind of like what K-State was doing last year with Wyatt Hubert, uh, where we started to move from the true 4-2-5 to like kind of get closer to the 3-3-5-ish, uh, and then we fully transitioned this year. But KU, uh, they're surprisingly smart with their blitzes. They use a lot of techniques to bait protection in one direction. Uh, this is where we would say what kind of coverages they like but the problem with that and there's a big one is that we don't know what coverages that they like because we're not entirely sure that they know what coverages they like (laughs) and that's not a mark on their consistency either yeah that's not us saying that they're really good at a lot of coverages it's not even us saying they're really bad at a lot of coverages which is kind of is it's just that they don't really have coverages (laughs) like that's that sounds really mean and diminutive but like it's kind of true yeah like it's we'll we'll talk about that more a little later stew on that for a while uh, and just hold off for a moment yeah i spent a lot of time on the uh on the offensive line, so I'll let you pick which two groups you take on the defense. I want to take linebackers badly. Okay, so, so you can have linebackers. Do you want another group? Um, I'll just take linebackers. That's really okay. all I want. <laughs> all right, that's fair. All right, so let's start with their defensive line. Um, they're not good at all, actually. Uh. Number 15 has a very big problem over-pursuing and over-committing to the edge on running plays, which is really funny because even when he does get the edge on passing plays, he kind of just gets there and is like, what do I do now? <laughs> like, I have the edge. What do I do now? And uh, it gets worse because everyone but number 15 has a really, really, really bad motor. To where they just kind of look like they're standing there 98% of the time. Which, you know, I get. You're a defensive lineman. You you're, you probably weigh like 330. You're not going to be moving anywhere fast unless your name's Aaron Donald. But, come on. You got to at least look like you're putting forth a little bit of effort. And they were constantly getting blown back a several yards or moved laterally in zone running schemes. And when I say that this is... I, this is going to, again, sound really mean. I have seen high school pass rushers with better moves and more moves than the defensive line of the University of Kansas. Specifically, 97 and 98, uh, they don't have pass rush moves. And normally people, when they say that, they're they're being hyperbolic. It's like, oh, well, all, that means all they have is one move. No. No, they don't even bull rush. They just kind of stand there with their hands on the linemen. They don't try and push them back. They don't try and do anything else. They just stand there with their hands on them, occasionally moving their feet a little bit. That makes me really sad. That makes me exceptionally sad, in fact, as someone that really likes pass rush moves. Like, 
It was one of the reasons that when I played football, I preferred defense over offense was because I could try so many different things. Like, I loved the spin move. I was told to stop doing it. <laughs> I was, too. I, I understand your pain. Yeah, that's the pain of being a defensive tackle that, like, has some sense of lateral agility. Yeah. <laughs> you get told yeah. to not have it. Yeah. They t- these people took yeah. it literally. Yeah, they're like, that's a cool spin move you've got there. I'm going to need you to not do that and just lay down on the ground instead. <laughs> like, <laughs> I just take up space instead of be productive, please. Yeah. So, but yeah, we'll, 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 we'll retire from dumping on their defensive line. Well, but wait, it gets worse. Because, yeah, now we have to dump on their linebackers. So their linebackers, we, we just talked a lot of smack about their defensive line. They're not the worst group, though. It's linebackers. <laughs> linebackers are bad. Yeah. <laughs> like, they, I, I mean, we'd be remiss if we didn't say that if you're listening to this and you've watched KU football the last couple of years, you knew that this was coming, especially because of a certain individual that we'll get to here pretty soon. They're not the headiest players in the world. Uh, they're not very gap sound. They're not the most sound tacklers. They do not hit very hard. But their worst trait is probably their pursuit angles among all of those. Among all of those the problems. Po- the point is that they they suck. They're not very good. They bite really, 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 really hard on play action. And then we have one man, Mr. Gavin Potter. He's exceptionally bad. And it's... It wouldn't be funny to watch, but he's made a point to be just so unlikable. And <laughs> because he's gone out of his way to just be a generally unlikable person, it is kind of funny to watch him struggle sometimes. Yeah. He's not good, and you could run a whole offense that's entire purpose is to bully him. Kind of like what K-State did with Deuce Vaughn last year, where he broke his ankles not once but twice in that game. People forget the second time, which was a touchdown run, where he just kind of stopped because it was more (laughs) subtle. People forget about that one. Everyone remembers the big one, which, fair. Fair. (laughs) But the point that I'm trying to make here is that Gavin Potter is one of the worst linebackers in Power 5, perhaps the worst linebacker in Power 5 at a starting level. Okay. You, you said at a starting level, and that kind of sold it, yeah. Like, there are certainly worse... I mean, like, there are certainly worse linebackers on rosters. Mm-hmm. Gavin Potter is the worst starting linebacker in Power 5, probably. No, in Power 5, definitely. In all of D1, maybe not. Because Eric Moody was starting last year. Yeah, like... They're almost certainly we worse. Need to stop dumping on Eric Munoz. He, he seems like a genuinely good person. He's trying. He's, he's trying, trying his best. You know, and he's a good locker room presence. He's he's a nice guy. Yeah. You know who's not a nice guy? Gavin, Gavin Potter. Potter. <laughs> <laughs> he, he went out of his way to compare himself to Ray Lewis after just getting utterly embarrassed. Uh, during the game last year we're adding him on the next style voice tweet oh my gosh yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah it's just like i'm not going out of my way to make fun directly of like any other player on this roster other than the right tackle just because like he's just kind of bad but we even went out of our way to say he's not the worst right like he's not the worst offensive lineman in the big 12 like it's because i'm assuming all i'm giving all these people the benefit of the doubt on being decent mm-hmm. gavin potter no 
just sucks yeah <laughs> in every way shape and form that we know of and i i have nothing else to say about him i've exhausted it <laughs> rent free maybe i don't care <laughs> rent free maybe i don't care. who asked not me who asked not me let's move on <laughs> all right so now let's talk about their defensive backs which despite what i'm about to say might be their best group on defense. And Connor's looking at the notes. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out where they're good. Especially based on what we talked about beforehand. We'll kind of talk about this after. Yeah. You, you just say what you need to say. Yeah, so zone discipline for the entire unit is really difficult to watch. And so bad that sometimes the only thing that I can definitively say is that it is some type of zone coverage. Well, what do you mean? Normally you can take one look at zone, or one or two looks at a particular type of zone coverage, and all you have to do is really look at the safeties to figure it out. No. No, you don't understand. You don't get it. <laughs> Unless you've watched film, you don't know. They don't know what they're doing in zone coverage. I don't know what I'm supposed to figure out when the safeties don't know what they're doing either. They will shift magically between cover 2, cover 3, and cover 6 in the same play. I don't know what they are doing in zone coverage. And the reason why I say they're the best group on the team is because they're really, really athletic. They are really athletic, and when they're asked to play zone, I mean, when they're asked to play man, they generally won't embarrass themselves. And that's kind of the bar that we're dealing with there. They are the only group that is not actively embarrassing themselves on every single play. That's what makes them the best unit on the team. That's the Wait, bar. On, on the team or defense? On defense. Okay. Though, on the team... They're up there. They're up there. That's really it. Like, I don't want to sound too mean. Like, because I know that there are rivals, right? Like, I know I'm not supposed to like them. But part of you has to feel bad. Yeah, like... I'm with you on that where I I do relish just absolutely smacking them. I, I thoroughly enjoy it. But when we're going through these breakdowns and we're not actually playing them, I watch them and there is a level of humor to it, especially people like Gavin Potter. But at the same time, you also just have to be like, they deserve better coaching yeah. than they're getting. And what's even worse is they are getting better coaching than they did last year. Last year may have been the worst coach football team in the last 30 years of Division One football. Yeah. I'm I'm thinking about it, and I'm going back to the late 80s K-State teams pre-Bill Snyder. Those were awfully coached teams. The Stan Parrish era of football, that was pretty bad. That KU team last year was awful. And the, the coaching this year is a little better. But, like... Oh, it's a lot better. It's, the problem is, is that whenever you're coached to do something for so long, it is so hard to break habits when they were habits formed from a really bad coach. 
Yeah. yeah, and they had less for two years. It took two years for less to ruin their program for coaching for the next four. Less is less. Like, I, I want... I don't... I just want Leipold to make this resemble a football team again. They don't even have to be good. They just have to resemble a team. Yeah, like, we're not saying we want KU to be good. Like, let's make that clear. What we're saying is we want them to at least appear disciplined and, like, heady. Like, on the note on discipline, they're one of the least penalized teams in FBS. So something is sticking. Yeah, I guess it's they'd rather give up a bad play than get a penalty because they know that they just can't give up the yards. Which, honestly, that that makes sense. Because Leipold, I'm not convinced on him as an in-game coach or a developer yet. But if there's one thing that I think he is better at than less, it's knowing what he has. And... I almost can guarantee that they're drilling into the players' heads. Just don't commit penalties, like, at any cost. Because they know that with the roster they have, they need every single yard that they can get. They cannot afford penalties. Like, a false start is basically automatic three and out yeah. for them. They they can't give up those five yards. They can't even give up one yard. That Their margin of error is... In the negatives. <laughs> like, they're already at such a major disadvantage. So I'd imagine that there's something to it where they'd rather Jason Bean have an attempt to scramble and then get sacked for a loss of, like, four than have a holding call and lose ten. Because they know that, yeah, they keep the down, but does it matter? <laughs> like, they can't get the yards. Yeah. So um, that's kind of a... Side tangent, oddly defending KU, I guess, kind of. Not not defending. It, it is more an observation. I, I want the bare minimum for them. Yeah. I, I want them to at least respect themselves. Because if you talk to a KU fan talking about football, they do not respect themselves. No, Which is sad. There, there's either people that have utterly blind faith in everything... Or the majority... Or the broken. Yeah, the majority of them, which is broken and apathetic. Which... Can you blame them? No. Okay. There's no there's no way I can blame them. No. For, I mean, I like I could make platitudes about, like, oh, you know, like, I, I'll always care about, like, case eating food or bad. But, like, and while that may be true, I would start to feel pretty apathetic if we had another decade, like the 1980s for K-State... Or like the sixties or fifties, like the seventies, we had a couple good years, but <laughs> but if we had a decade of just being like perennially laughed at and not ever getting more than three wins in a season for over ten years at this point, like yeah, I'd be pretty apathetic as a fan. Like like, what incentive would there be for me to care at that point? Like, cause it's not even like you're going to bowl games and having mediocre seasons. Like you're doing nothing like there is no point in going to the games when you know the end result before you even get there yeah like even the ou game that's a perfect underdog story they still 
OU, it took one quarter of them figuring it out, and they ran away with it. If the game had been another quarter long, OU wins by probably 20 or 30. <laughs> they already almost, like, they ran, they won by 12, but any anyway, let, let's get into the stories to watch going into this game after taking pity upon them, which is almost worse than dunking on them directly. It is a weird stage of fandom that we've reached. Normally, I'd dunk, and we did dunk a lot. But, you know, I do feel a little bad. Maybe it's because Lance is not as hateable as Les. No. Les just was... Ugh, I hate yeah. Les. Les sucks. Yeah. So, first thing to watch going into the game is, can K-State counter the zone option run game from Jason Bean? Because, really, it's about all their offense has. Um, I think yes, almost exclusively because, like you said, it's the only thing that their offense has. I think that if they had a couple other facets, we'd still be able to somewhat contain it, but they'd break a few big plays. But I think if the defense goes out there understanding that Jason Bean is about the only thing that they have as an offense, and they go out and they scout the reads, and they know what they're looking for. Granted, I expect KU to break out a few wrinkles for this game. I expecting some trick plays or some different looks because they understand the importance of this game. Uh, I, I, I think K-State will handle the zone run. They may give up a big play or two, but I think for the most part, they'll they'll see it coming. Yeah. So kind of related to that is which player will be playing the force role on the defense? Because like I said, if they get the opportunity to turn this into a 7-on-7 seven seven game, they will absolutely take that. Uh, who's going to be playing the force probably boom probably boom or felix or Fe- uh, it's going to be boom or felix and i i imagine it'll primarily be boom because the main things i think of when i think of boom massey are not like him getting a sack or a big tackle why i think of when i think of boom massey is him taking out like three blockers against stanford to force the run back into like an entire defense that's what i think of when i think of boom massey just like doing the the little thing that like contains the run so yeah you want to take the next one yeah i'll take it how does lance leipold keep his players engaged for his first sunflower showdown as a coach the 111th consecutive i don't know because he's coming off of a demor- two really demoralizing losses in a row. For two totally different reasons. For two totally different reasons. Because they were competitive for so long, and then they faced a lot of adversity in the Oklahoma game and just completely crumbled. Then they went and played Oki. Oki decimated them. So they already don't have any momentum. The only thing that Leipold has riding on this game is that it is the Sunflower Showdown. A rivalry he's never been a part of before. So he might not even know how to sell it. Especially because of the fact, what is it? We have, what, 50 K Kansas kids on our team? They have 19. Yeah, we have 53 Kansas kids on the roster. And the two deep on the roster is littered with Kansas kids. I mean, I'm trying to think about it. Uh, Jax, Deneen, at fullback. Keenan Garber, yeah, wide receiver. Yeah, Keenan Garber, receiver. Cooper, BB. Actually, he might be Casey Moe. Wait, no, he's Casey K. Yeah, Piper. Yeah, yeah, he's Piper. 
Uh, Hadley Panzer is another guy. Noah Johnson is Echo another guy. Boido. Yeah, Ben Adler. Um, uh, Nick just, Allen. Nick Allen and uh, uh, Austin Moore. Didn't Justin come from a... I mean, Justin Gardner come from Hutchinson Community yep. College? Yeah, Jerron McPherson. Uh, he's from Baser. Uh, uh, Ross Elder, I believe. Wait, no, actually Ross Elder may be from Missouri. I think he's from Missouri. Yeah, he went to Rockhurst, I think. But the point is, oh, Chris Tennant, um, Tate and Winkle, uh, Ty Zentner, you know, basically everybody on special teams. <laughs> yeah, this this is a game that matters to Kansas kids, and Bipole only has 19 of them. Mm-hmm. And it's a rivalry, like, I don't think that he is at the stage yet to where he can keep his players engaged in a rivalry game any more than he can in a regular game. Yeah, I, I, I think I see what you're saying. I do think Lance, I think he understands the importance of the game. I, I think he gets it, but I'm not sure if he's in a position to accurately convey it quite yet. I mean, there are Kansas kids on that roster, like Devin Neal, uh, Mason Fairchild, I believe, is a Kansas kid as well. Ray Lewis. No, Ray, Ray Lewis. I, he might actually be from Texas or Oklahoma or something. That would make perfect sense. Yeah. I don't think he's from Kansas. Good. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, yeah, the point is, is that they... I, I think Lance knows, but he may not just be, he might just not be in a position to accurately convey it. And even if he is, like, who knows how effective he'd be in conveying that message. I'm not sure how good of a motivator he is. Based off the results we've seen, it's a mixed bag at best. Yeah. Uh, you can take the next one as well. Yeah. Uh, does Felix commit murder on an offensive line that is notably worse than TCU's? Yes. Yes. Moving, Moving on. on. <laughs> <laughs> so. How many annoying KU fans will go and try and bully us on Twitter for no reason? Uh, let me clarify by saying that there's still cool ones out there. They do exist. This isn't about you. We love you. Yeah, if, if you are sitting there wondering if you're a cool KU fan and you, you are, us, you are. So don't worry about it. This is about Twitter people. Over under two. Because um, we had four Iowa State. Yeah, that was post game. So are we going to include post game? Yes. Um, I don't know if they lose, there's not going to be anything, which I say if when they lose, there's not going to be anything, uh, pregame. I don't know. Maybe we'll get Jayhawk takeover. Nobody asked. Nobody asked. asked. We we have a meme waiting just for that one. Yeah. I'll push on two. I think. Yeah. I'll, I'll take the easy way out. I'll take under, um, can K-State extend the winning streak, both the versus KU winning streak and the current two-game winning streak from this season? Yes. Yes. Moving, Moving on. on. Uh, I'll take this last one. Which backup makes the most noise in the second half? This is a legitimately interesting question. Yes. I, I, I want to know what you have to say on this. Um, I'm going to... I'm going to assume Keenan Garber starts because I feel like one of Malik and or Phillip Brooks will be kept out yeah, or at least be limited or be limited so i'll count garber as a starter um i consider Jax to be the starting fullback even though he is splitting reps with a senate i'll actually go dj giddens because we've been hearing a lot of really good things from him and we just haven't seen him yeah i I have a feeling that the coaching staff has been holding Giddens as their as the ace up their sleeve for a while. Yeah, no pun intended. 
<laughs> I wait. Yes, you are ace. Hello. <laughs> I, I, I think that they've been hiding him because I think that they realize that if they started playing him early, there may not be as much of a justification for keeping his red shirt. And I really don't think they want to burn his red shirt Mm-mm. because the running back room is a little crowded right now. And I think they want to make some separation there. So the KU game is the fourth to last game. So assuming he were to play in the KU game and then get PT in the next three games and not play in the bowl game, then he would be able to retain his red shirt. So Giddens is a good option, although I'll go with somebody different. I am going to roll with, just because Kleiman has shown a propensity to a good favoritism to playing Kansas kids during the Sunflower Showdown. I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean that in that is what he does way. I'm going to take a random pick and go with Devontae Pritchard just because I think that he may get a shot at linebacker if he travels uh, over uh, Eric Munoz or Keenan Gaskin, uh, who we saw at the end of the TCU game as the reserves, which is the first time we've really seen the reserves as a whole unit, although we didn't see reserve corners because they're very thin there right now after the transfer of Amaris Brown. So, But, yeah, I'll say Devontae Pritchard. I don't really have anything to base it on other than he is from Kansas and we are playing Kansas. So Yeah. So now let's get into projected offensive and defensive MVPs. Um, so first things first, for we are disallowing one player. And no, it's not Deuce. We are disallowing Felix. Man. I should have told you that before, but I'll go first to compensate. Okay. So on offense, I feel like it has to be Deuce. Almost exclusively because and Deuce is going to play one half of football, but he will still be the most impactful player. And I still think that he comes out in above three times makes Gavin Potter look like the clown that he is. Honk, honk. Uh, offensively, I'll also say Deuce, uh, just for basically the same reasons that you said. Uh, Deuce is a going to be the best athlete by a massive margin, a wide margin. Uh, he'll be the best athlete on the field on Saturday. He will be better than every... He'll be more athletic than every single KU defender by a wide margin, especially Mr. Gavin Potter. He will... He'll, he'll dominate him, especially if he gets in the open field. I would hope Lance Leipold has some ideas to just sell out on stopping him from getting to the open field by just blowing up run plays completely and leaving everything else wide open so that way... At least if he breaks free, he's not going to get on Sports Center top ten. So yeah, which honestly, at that point, preserving the little pride you have, <laughs> preserve might, your dignity. It, it honestly it might be worth it. So yeah. So on defense, I'm going to pick the other Deuce, and that is Deuce Green or Daniel Green, because he's the most secure tackler, and I think that he's probably the person that we have. Not spying, because QB spy wouldn't work in this specific context, but basically defending the zone run and the zone read as best he can. And I feel like Daniel Green, as fast as Jason Bean is, I feel like Daniel Green is equally, if not as fast, and also knows how angles work, so he can just angle pursuit. Yeah, I'm rolling with Daniel Green as well for basically the same reason that you listed as your last one, and that... Jason Bean is going to be the attack 
for KU. I imagine we're going to see a lot of quarterback run against K-State uh, on Saturday. So K-State's linebackers aren't to be really heads up uh, on the read options, and they're not to be very active in reading. Because while we have spent a lot of time poking fun of KU and saying they're not very good, they are a legitimate threat in the read option game, especially if Jason Bean keeps the ball because he, he is a dynamic athlete. Uh, regardless of his passing abilities, uh, he is very athletic. So Daniel Green, he's gonna need an, he's gonna have to be an effective open field tackler because I think Lance Leipold sees Felix uh, Nudike Uzama uh, having a six sack performance against TCU, and he is probably absolutely horrified. Which fair, and I I think that he's going to want to do everything he can to keep the ball away from Felix, keep the keep everyone on offense away from Felix. That may be a fruitless endeavor, especially because it seems like the team as a whole, as well as Felix, kind of have a chip on their shoulder about the whole NCAA taking away the sacks thing, which honestly, it's absolutely incredible to me that you can have a chip on your shoulder after being credited with four sacks in a game. Yeah, I, in a way, it's kind I, of remarkable. I respect that a lot. So... Daniel Green, I think, is the next most important player on the defense yeah. uh, this upcoming weekend. Especially because, what was? do you remember the last true option attack we faced? Granted, uh, it's a different type of option. I honestly Maybe. don't. Really? Yes. Oh, Malcolm yeah. Perry. And Malcolm Perry did very bad things to us. He did. Granted, that is a totally different type of option. Like true, you said. but it's still an option. But it still is, a, it still is an option attack. And even KU's going to do a lot more than the option, just not effectively. So Yeah. yeah. Um, so for score projections, I, I've decided that I'm never going to be specific ever again. So I will either be conscientiously objecting or just saying it's a massacre. It will be a complete and utter massacre. I'm going to say 55-10. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. I, I don't know what else to add to it other than... Yes, it will be 55 <laughs> yeah. like, That's all I can say. Yeah, that's all that needs to be said. So that pretty much wraps it up. Thank you all for listening to this preview edition of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. If you want to contact the show or follow us, we are Aggieville A Cats on Twitter. That's capital A, capital A, and capital C in cats. If you want to email us, we are AggievilleAlleyCats at gmail.com. If you want to follow us on a more personal note, I'm at ACEdward00. I'm at Connor Baltazor, capital C, capital B. And if you want to support the show in a more financial way, we are still looking for sponsors and probably will always be looking for sponsors and are very likely to accept most of them, provided they are legal. Mm-hmm. And if you want to support us in another way, we have a merch store where we sell such wonderful designs as Neon Alley Cats and Play Sandstorm Cowards and have brand new crew neck sweatshirts so be sure to pick those up but most importantly thank you all for listening to this episode of the aggieville alley cats podcast where come rain shine or anything in between we're here to deliver to you the kansas state sporting news that you so love stay safe alley cats